Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It is a really proud day for me uh, and my family. I hope it's also a proud day for Scotland as it speaks to our values as a country as I stand here as the first ever Muslim to lead a Western democratic nation. You try telling that to 16-year-old Hamza Yusuf, who post 9-11 was questioned constantly about his loyalty to this country. We have, presiding officer, collectively come a long way. Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for finding us. Uh, thank you for being with us throughout the leadership contest and now beyond. We enter the Hamza Yusuf chapter. Uh, as First Minister, Hamza Yusuf is already making really quite bold statements, either in appointments to his cabinet or indeed in phone calls that he's placing to the Prime Minister uh, and indeed other things that he's talking about. We're going to get into all of that today with Andy McKeever, former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Hello, and Jeff Aberdeen's here too, uh, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond as First Minister. Hello, Jeff. Hello, good morning. Hello, right, gosh. Uh, so we last spoke on Monday, straight after the um, leadership election result was declared. Since then, Hamza Yusuf has been voted in by MSPs as the First Minister. Uh, right, I think we need to start with the most newsworthy bits of this, and I think um, that actually revolves around Kate Forbes and her decision to leave government having been offered... Well, it was a demotion, frankly, wasn't it, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly kind of was presented that way. There's nothing to say that rural flares is not an important uh, role, but given uh, uh, Kate Forbes had run the economy and, and finance briefs largely to, to, to wide acclaim, and given that she most crucially run up the score to 48% of the vote on her particular um, mandate and platform of... of uh, you know, that wealth uh, creation for wealth distribution, uh, economic growth for increasing the tax base, it, it kind of feels as if it's a missed opportunity for Hamza to bring the party together. Now, I know there's a lot of briefing ongoing and, and we won't know the real truth of what was said between the two of them, but my understanding is, is that Hamza was genuine in trying to seek a, uh, a Kate's uh, accommodation to Cabinet. 
But Kate's obviously viewed it and thought, well, no, it's probably a demotion. The Rural Affairs Brief is interlinked with a lot of the green policies, the priorities there, and felt, I can't do that for my own constituency either. And I'm sure there's personal reasons involved in that as well, and that ability to come back, take a breath on the back benches. Uh, but I do feel that this is uh, hugely disappointing for whatever your politics. As a citizen, I'd have liked to have seen Kate Forbes in Cabinet. She's a huge electoral asset. And, and if nothing else told us that, it was the public polling throughout the campaign that showed us as her as the most favoured candidate. I think by bringing the party together, Hamza would be in a much more stronger position. And sadly, I think he's in a weaker position because of this decision. Andy, what do you make of this? What is the, the strategy here? Is it a show of strength and determination from Hamza Youssef? This is the direction I'm going in and, you know, like it or lump it. Or is it a, a show of weakness, perhaps, that he's... He's misstepped um, and missed an opportunity, as Jeff says, for unity, for expertise, and for somebody who was um, on the side of business. I think that's an important part of all of this as well. It's a really important part of all of this because I think that um, I, I, I do think that there are lots of people inside government who just don't understand just how bad the relations are with the business community. And I'm not talking about big corporates here. I'm talking about the SME backbone of Scotland's tax base, to be honest. Um, relationships are really, really poor uh, because the business community just don't think the government understands them or understands the economy and doesn't listen to them. I mean, the first, on, on the day that Hamza was declared leader, the only public tweet he made that day um, before the one with his family in Butte House at night was a picture of him, Lorna Slater and Patrick Harvey when he reaffirmed the Green Deal with no renegotiation. He didn't think, I better show a bit of metal here and try and, uh, you know, recoup some of the ground um, that we've that we've lost. And of course, the Greens didn't try and renegotiate because they've already, they've already captured a lot of Paul's areas anyway. So that was really the only thing he tweeted that day. The next day, he makes Shona Robeson Deputy First Minister. Now, Shona Robeson has been around for a long time, very capable, very competent Cabinet Secretary, and is perfectly... Uh, qualified to be Deputy First Minister, but she's Nicola Sturgeon's best friend in politics. And then he gives Kate Forbes a job. I mean, you know, Jeff is right to stand up for the rural affairs portfolio, actually a very important job in Scotland, mm. but let's not pretend it's the same as Finance Secretary. I mean, it's like Joe Biden offering the chance for Kamala Harris to become, you know, the ambassador to Liechtenstein instead of being <laughs> Vice President, right? It's not, it is not as big a job. Um, those are the first three things he did. If that doesn't say... I was the continuity candidate and I am now running a continuity government whether you like it or not, then I don't know what does say that. Now, is it deliberate? Is it Hamza Youssef saying, you know what, I'm a man of the left. I'm going to run a government of the left. That's why I'm so keen on the Greens. That's why um, I'm not particularly interested in the 48% that voted for a completely different vision. This is the government I'm running. Vote for me, don't vote for me. You know, whatever. Yeah. Or... Is it an error? Is he just making early mistakes and not thinking about the optics of the initial steps that he is taking? I don't know the answer to that, but in a lot of ways, I'd like to think the answer is actually number one, that this is deliberate, that he's doing this deliberately. Mm. If he is, of course, then 
the, the the argument, the chasm inside the SNP certainly doesn't get healed, that's for sure. And let's add to it that in the last few minutes, just as we start recording, we understand that Ivan McKee has also left the Scottish government. He was offered a new job that he considered a step down. He was, of course, initially the campaign manager for Kate Forbes. Does that give us any more insight into what's going on here, Jeff? Yeah, I, I hope not, right? And I'm going to take Andy uh, on what he's just said there, because... Uh, the relations with business, and we're not just talking about big business here, we're talking about SMEs, the lifeblood, the backbone, the bedrock of our economy, has not been great. By, and you can, you know, it doesn't take much research, Googling, to, to look at some of the comments from various business organisations and individual businesses up and down the country for that. And Ivan spoke their language, uh, mm -hmm. and Kate spoke their language. And it's really important. These are the people, they're the wealth creators. They're the people that employ people. These are the people who put wages in folks' pockets that they are listened to. And so uh, if Ivan's left as well, and those reports are accurate, it does give a sense of, a, of an administration that is losing that economic and business credibility, not gaining it. And that, that gap needs to be filled. Now, we still have to wait and see who the uh, uh, finance and economy briefs go to. But my goodness, whoever that uh, takes on those roles is going to have a big mountain to climb. Um, now, final point, you mentioned the Greens there, uh, Andy. Uh, I thought it's a really well-made point. I'd like to see Hamza show a bit of teeth in his negotiations with the Green Party. I think he has to. There is a perception, whether it's accurate or not, is irrelevant. In politics, perception is everything. The perception is that there's, uh, is the green tog wait, uh, wait, uh, you know, wagging the uh, uh, SNP tail? No, I've got that the wrong way around, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's just, for the, for, for the, for the benefit of the listeners, I, I've made a bit of an arse of that, but uh, essentially, you know what I mean. Uh, it's uh, a green dog. More... We settled on it being a green dog the other day. It's a green dog. Let's go with a green dog, right. Uh, it's so staying perception... in, I'm leaving that in. Oh, quite right. Um, uh, but listen, look, the, the, the perception is that there is mm. a lot of green influence there, perhaps too much green influence. So I think Hamza... Uh, from a tactical point of view, has got to show a bit of teeth here. Now, I, I saw a story yesterday that there was some divergence on this DRS policy. Good. Go for it, Hamza. Create some narratives, create some uh, differences, divergence with the Greens, and show that you're you know, standing up for the principal party of government. It's not to say that the Greens don't have a role, but I think that's really important politically to show that you've got a bit of metal and a bit of strategic nous there. Would a minority government have been so bad, Andy? No. Mm. No, minority governments are fine. I mean, you know, this parliament is, is set up with a proportional representation voting system to avoid majorities, for a start. But that doesn't mean there has to be a coalition. Uh, Alex Salmond ran a perfectly successful majority, minority government for four years between uh, 20, 2007 and 2011, with the help of the Tories, incidentally. That doesn't get talked about a lot, it has to be said. <laughs> um, so he ran a, a perfectly viable minority government. And, of course... Uh, there was also a minority government during the last parliament. Um, it wasn't. It was. It was slim. They only had a couple of seats to get, and but they they made it work. They made it work by giving handouts to some opposition MSPs. They got the Lib Dems on board a couple of years by uh, looking at ferries to the islands. And you know there are things that you can do. You can run a minority government perfectly successfully. This. Uh, this Andy, coalition. sorry to interrupt. Can, 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 yeah. I just, can I just interject just very briefly there? You said it was a perfectly viable administration, 2007 and 2011. I'd argue that was the most successful period of public policy, legislative politics that we've had 
in, in devolution because we only had a plurality of one, one mm. more seat than the next party, the Labour Party. And it wasn't just that we wanted to do, necessarily wanted to do it, we had to, it was necessity. And you're mm. right, Annabel Goldie was pragmatic and constructive in her ways in which she worked with the SNP. But I actually think, if you think the result of the 2011 election after four years of that minority uh, government, uh, and it was a majority uh, uh, result, uh, the people liked it as well. The public clearly liked it as well. So not only can it be done, perhaps it should have been done on this occasion. You never know. Uh, it might have refreshed, reset the whole SNP approach. And sorry for interrupting, Andy. Please. No, I mean, the only other thing I was going to say is I think we need to... It is important that we understand why this deal was done with the Greens last year. It was done out of, to be honest, paranoia. There was a spell towards the end of the last parliament where SNP cabinet secretaries were under threat of losing votes of confidence. There were issues about whether the budgets would go through. And uh, they got to the point where Jackie Bailey won her seat in Dumbarton. It deprived the SNP of the majority that they thought they were potentially on the cusp of getting. Um, and I think John Swinney and Nicola Sturgeon said, at any cost, we cannot afford to have this uncertainty anymore. We need to know everything's getting through, everything's getting passed, and so no price is too high to pay. And for one seat, they have given away a lot, not just two Green Ministers, but very significant policy capture in very significant areas of public policy. I mean, you know, if you look for... Uh, saying that the Greens are, are, are punching above their weight is not an adequate phrase to describe what is going on here. The Greens are punching five or six weights above them. They got one in 12 voters voted for them and they are ruling the roost here. So, you know, I, I think that it is important to understand that, um, I mean, good on the Greens, by the way. Mm. Don't take anything away from yeah, they're them. Yeah, a good game. I mean, game. hats off to Patrick Harvey and mm. Lorna Slater. They have played a blinder here. Yeah, I was going to say, personally, I might not agree with their, their particular positions on... On, on some elements of energy policy and various other things. But, you know, they'll be sitting there pretty pleased with themselves and they've, they've, they've upped their polling since they've been in government. They're, they're, they're trending at a much higher level on the whole. So, yeah, from their perspective, I think they'd be quite pleased. Uh, just to add on our conversation and around Kate Forbes particularly, I suppose there's a question to be asked about whether her refusal of the job... Um, for, for the reasons that we've explored, but actually whether there's a fundamental thing here where she is undermining Unicy by not accepting the job and not staying in government, did she have a, a higher responsibility to actually say, yes, in the interest of unity, I'm sticking with you, Hamza? What do you reckon, Jeff? A really interesting point, and I reckon, knowing kind of Kate as I do, that she would have been thinking very carefully in, around mm. those terms as well. Do I have an obligation to the 48% that voted for yeah. me? Uh, do I have an obligation to the party uh, as a whole here? But fundamentally, given the nature of the campaign, and she did face a really bruising campaign where a lot of her parliamentary colleagues, I think uh, I heard a stat that it was 80% of MSPs and MPs that declared a preference did so for Hamza Youssef. Mm -hmm. And let's not kid ourselves, that first week or two was pretty uh, punchy. It was pretty hot stuff going in her direction in terms of criticism. So I think she's got a perfect out in that sense. Now, had had she been offered the economy brief with a bit of carte blanche around uh, policy making, or had she been a, 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 you know, a, a offered Deputy First Minister, maybe with a bit of the Constitution and making the financial case for independence um, based on, you know, post-Brexit area, that might have been much harder for her to turn down. And I, and I genuinely think... And, that she would have been um, pretty uh, keen on that. But 
She wasn't. She mm. was offered that rule affairs brief. And I do think that was easier to turn down for the reasons that we've already uh, highlighted. Yeah. I want to add then into the conversation, Andy, a thought on what the back benches are now starting to look like. Because with any reshuffle, um, such as it is, comes uh, a sort of very different looking backbench as well. So already you've got Nicola Sturgeon going to be sat there. Now you're mm. going to have Kate Forbes sat there. Presumably Ash Regan will be there as well. There are, what I'm saying is there are big personalities who are going to be on the back benches um, and, will, and I would imagine will not be quiet with it. Um, I'm not sure about that last bit, actually. Uh, I suspect that they will be quite quiet. I, I mean, they've got Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney on the back benches. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's clear. Um, I think they will be quite quiet. I think they'll want to let Hamza get on with this. Um, really interesting question as to whether or not Kate is quiet. Um, there are two ways that... Uh, uh, this is all very dependent on, on, on what she wants to do and what she thinks about stuff. And I think it'd be really interesting to for her to disclose that at some point. You know, what what is what is she thinking? Does she feel vulnerable going into that building? They're still briefing against her. I was down there doing broadcast the other night after the result. They're still briefing against her, the other MSPs. So... What sort of reception does she get? SNP MSPs, do you mean? Or, Absolutely, yeah. SNP MSPs. So what sort of reception does she get when she gets there? That's an interesting question. What does she want now from politics? She said during the campaign, this is a one-time thing. I'm only going to stand once. Uh, if I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. Um, it wouldn't shock, two things wouldn't shock me. She could be a candidate in a future leadership election. Wouldn't shock me. She could leave politics in 2026. That wouldn't shock me either. So I think there are just too many unanswered questions about how Kate Forbes herself is feeling. And you, I, I don't think you can... Putting yourself up for political leadership at all in any party is a brave and difficult and gruelling thing to do. Um, putting yourself up to be First Minister, even more so, and, you know for better whatever anybody thinks of the views that she expressed in the first week and you know we've been through it on this podcast what jeff and i think of it um the the opprobrium that she experienced directly as a result of that will have been extremely mentally difficult for her to cope with so I think she needs a little bit of time, I suspect, to think, what is my role going to be here? Am I going to be um, the active... Am I going to be Theresa May in the back benches, not really doing a whole hell of a lot? Or am I going to be Boris Johnson trying to rock a <laughs> yeah. few boats here? I, I really, it's a really interesting point, you know, the back bench point. Let, let's, let's kind of take them in turn. I think uh, Nicola Sturgeon and John Swinney will be relatively quiet on, on the overt politics. I do think clearly, particularly as Nicola's concerned, you know, uh, she'll be looking perhaps to what's next post-politics. Um, and we might see some, you know, interesting uh, developments in her career path in that respect. But I don't suspect it's going to be highly political as far as Hollywood's concerned. Ash Reagan, I think it's safe to say, is going to be, if she's not a, appointed a, a minister, um, we'll wait and see, might be pretty punchy if she's on the back benches. Mm. She's shown mm. that uh, throughout the uh, uh, leadership campaign. Um, and she obviously very highly profile uh, resignation from the, the government as well. Uh, and she's got a bit of credibility for that in that respect in, in certain quarters. And, and more power to her elbow, in all, in all honesty. Good for her if that is her position. On Kate Forbes, I suspect 
she will be, as she has said, and she's been at pains to say in her social media interventions yesterday, she will be loyal to Hamza and to the party. Uh, I have no doubt about that. But I do think you're going to see her trying to move into that economic space, perhaps kind of uh, develop uh, some policy prospectuses that might be considered by the party. She's got freedom to do that. She can go out and about to different sectors, to different think tanks, to different uh, academia organisations. I think that will be her passion. That has always been her uh, passion. And I think we might see her do stuff like that. I'd also like to see her kind of introduce herself as a person a bit more. I think we, we learned a lot about the politician um, but I suspect she's at a young age, mm. and I accept your point, Andrew. Uh, he could, you know, she could do two things. She could quite easily leave in 2026, or quite likely position herself to be leader. She won't know that yet in her head. She's got to decompress. But nonetheless, I'd like to see more about her personality and what motivates her as an individual uh, beyond just those religious beliefs that she's been kind of characterised by so far. So that would be my kind of guess on those particular mm. uh, individuals. I'm quite interested. Thanks in for using my Sunday name there, Jeffrey, <laughs> by the way. I, I don't know where that came from, by the way. Uh, I'm only ever called Jeffrey, right, when I've been in trouble, and it's usually from my mum, so I'm sorry, Andrew. No, I don't you're, think you're in trouble in any way. You're quite right, keeping him in his place. That's what's, that's what's needed, a bit of discipline on this podcast. Um, I'm quite interested in what you were saying, Andrew, uh, Andy, about... Um, <laughs> about SNP MSPs <laughs> briefing against Kate Forbes. I just wonder if you can kind of, I don't know, does that surprise you, Jeff? Because, you know, here I am asking if, if Kate Forbes rejecting a, a cabinet position, whatever it is, is undermining unity. Actually, is there a lot of introspection to be done by SNP MSPs here? Because but if they're briefing against her, they're briefing against 48% of the people who voted for her. Of, of, yeah. of members, I mean. Yeah, no, I'm surprised to hear that, mm. uh, um, Andy, and disappointed. Look, if Kate had come out afterwards and said, sod y'all, I'm off, you know, fair enough, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you know, there's there's an argument to say, well, hold on a second, let's place this in context, all the rest of it. But she's she's lost. She did it graciously. She did it graciously at Murrayfield. Her tweets, as I said, have been extremely um, well presented and very supportive of Hamza Youssef. Leave her be, guys. Mm. Let, you know, let, that's enough because this does not play well um, uh, in the public sphere and it will not uh, pay well, uh, play well with the 48% particularly of the members either. So just uh, let it be. I'm really disappointed to hear that. Do you know what I think is a big part of this? I think that the, um, the establishment SNP, the elected SNP are in shock because... We have a situation where for a long, long time, for a long period of years, the SNP has gradually moved towards being uh, a leftist party. And not only that, it has been telling us that Scotland is a left-wing country. We hear this all the time. Scotland is a left-wing country. And it's never, you know, you can sort of humour that sort of view, but it doesn't really stack up because it would make Scotland the only country anywhere in Europe that effectively has no appetite for centre-right economics, right? And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, even the Scandinavians elect the centre-right every other election. And what I think has happened here is that not only has this election shown that the idea that there is no Scottish centre-right is tripe, what it's also shown is that that Scottish centre-right is not only alive and well out in the country, it's alive and well in the SNP. Mm. 
It's alive and well in the SNP. 48% of people voted for a candidate who said the top priority was economic growth and public service reform. And I don't think the, that the elected side of the SNP are ready to accept that not everybody in their party or in their country thinks the way they do about life. Yeah, I agree with your overarching point, Andy, but can I just challenge something you say in the centre-right argument? Uh, it really frustrated me. I think we touched on it in a previous podcast about how she was being characterised, Kate Forbes, that is, about this kind of lurch to the right. The language that she has used in this campaign around economic growth and, and, and wealth creation for great wealth distribution, for child poverty and all these things, is almost um, like for like for what the SNP put forward in 2007 and indeed throughout that term of office and in 2011. And, we, and the party was not referred to really as centre-right. It was bang in the middle, uh, you know, uh, 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 pro-business, but, you know, with social conscience and social provision very much at its heart in terms of what it wanted to do with greater revenues and tax day. Honestly, I looked at speeches last night just to make sure I wasn't fooling myself. And I was looking at previous speeches made by the First Minister, indeed John Swinney throughout that period. The language is very similar. So I think it's a misnomer to suggest that this is a, a massive departure it, it, from that time in government. You could argue there's more of a departure from the more recent time under, under Nicola Sturgeon, but it's not radical in that sense because it's where the the success that the SNP still joins today was based on, that 2007 breakthrough election and that 2011 majority election. So I think that's got to be put in perspective. I, I agree with that. It's actually, it, it is not... And it's not, you know, no, nobody else would view it as being a lurch. It's the language, I think, very much of some of the centrist Scandinavian parties, actually. It's very much like the language of that, like a party like the Hoyer party, for instance, yeah. in Norway. You know, a party of kind of um, effectively economic liberalism, which is focused on that grow, grow wealth to then redistribute wealth. It's very Scandinavian, actually, but in all the ways that a lot of the left side of the SNP don't actually want to think exists. Really interesting thought. I wonder then what you make of Hamza Yusuf's election and uh, as uh, he takes over as first minister, what are you making of what we're saying today? Do get in touch, email anytime. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. We're very glad to take your points, put your questions to Jeff and Andy as well. If you want to pick them up on something, please address it to Jeffrey or Andrew. Um, we, want, we only want formal emails to this podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> hello at hollywoodsources.com is the email address to get in touch. Um, Right, should I ask just a sort of inevitable question about Hamza Yusuf's mandate here, which is going to float around, I'm sure, for a few days. So uh, in terms of the mandate, Jeff, is it is it rock solid? Is he on shaky ground? It's something the opposition parties are throwing around, so I think we should just air it just to see what you reckon. Yeah, I, can I can I first say, because I, I, I don't think we've actually reflected this, that you know, it is such a positive thing for our politics more widely to have uh, the first Muslim uh, first minister of our country. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that should always be recognised. And again, I said previous podcasts, I've known Hamza for 20 years. Um, when he, he came through the door, when I, we were both interns at the Bank from Buckingham Parliamentary Office really? in, uh, in Peterhead. I, um, and I, I am really pleased from him on a personal level. And it must have been such a source of pride for him to get into the uh, the First Minister's dais in, 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 in Parliament and have his family watching. Now, to the mandate and to his approach, we also discussed, did we not, uh, earlier this week, that, that 
the first 10 days and two weeks of his administration was going to be vital. Mm. The decisions that he took in these in this period was going to be absolutely crucial because we're not in a, a post-election victory cabinet formation. We're in a, a post-Nicola Sturgeon standing down and let's face it, quite a difficult public policy environment situation. And so it was all the more important that he hit the ground running. Now, OK, we're... There's controversy over the cabinet appointments just now and Kate Forbes not being there, but he's still got an opportunity to try and shape a, a collegiate cabinet and try and keep this party with him. He's got a lot of strength in the fact that all of those parliamentary um, uh, endorsements came for him, so he can speak to that. He's got strength in the sense, if you take the other side of the argument from the Greens, is he knows he's not going to face any legislative you know, defeats in Holyrood, which is actually really important um, as well. It's now how he uses that platform to speak to the wider country, mm. because we know that he wasn't as popular as Kate, uh, or or isn't in terms of the public opinion polls. So he has to go out and about the country. Mandates are irrelevant after the contest. It's how you utilise the power of the office that you are in, and he must get around the country to different sectors, different industries, uh, and speak to them and introduce himself with clear policy and substance behind that. I do think we got into the stage towards the end of that leadership campaign. It was very fluid. There was it wasn't much detail around. You know, we're hearing about well-being, economy, not really understanding what he meant by that. We're hearing about progressive policies, not understanding really understanding what he meant by those things either. Now he's got to put it in action and say, "This is who I am. This is what my administration is," and test it with the public. And he needs to do it really quickly. If he does it well, you know, politics is a fickle beast. Things can change very quickly. Mm. And there is a bit of time until the next general election, but it's really important that he uses this time wisely. Andy, come in on that. What, what in terms of the strategy, you know, as Jeff highlights, we've kind of pointed to 10 days, two weeks, etc. Um, do you agree that it's about getting out there and appealing to those, the, the, the public at large, who, as we've said already, seem to back Kate Forbes really throughout this thing? Yeah, it is. And that's why I think it's interesting to know whether what he's been doing over the last couple of days is deliberate strategy. Is he saying this is the direction of my government and these are the people I want in it because they, because I know they share um, my views on that? Um, and I, I think that is fascinating. There's a few things I think that he is going to have to do very quickly. He's going... Whether or not he challenges the gender recognition reform section 35, which he said he's going to and we presume he will... That's actually a viable enough thing to do. It's an interesting test of the Scotland Act, if nothing else, actually, to see how that sort of court challenge would go and what the outcome of that is. So I'd actually be quite interested to see that happening. Mm. But he should think about disaggregating the, the legal challenge from the issue itself. He still has a problem with the issue because the majority of the kind of middle ground of the country is deeply uncomfortable with elements of, just elements of, it's always important to state that, the bulk of it, nobody's that bothered about, but with certain elements of gender recognition reform that relate to women and girls, there are problems with that. And he, he really would do well, I think, to recognise that and try to find some sort of middle ground that can get more people on board on the one hand and then also not lose the Greens and other people who um, are obviously very passionate about it on the other. That would show real leadership and real strength if he was able to alter that position and get through it whilst also maintaining his approach that he's going to challenge Westminster's uh, decision on it. So I think that 
is a very, very important critical thing to do. And he also, especially now that he's lost Kate Forbes and Ivan McKee, as we discussed earlier, if you ask the business community to name two people who think who they thought understood them, those are the two people they would name, yeah. Kate Forbes and Ivan McKee. Mm. Hamza has got to send whoever he, to, you know, to, he's going to uh, create a finance secretary today um, and he's got himself and his deputy they have got to go out and start speaking to the business community. They've got to go out and start making them understand that they can speak their language and they do know that they're important and they do know that they're the backbone of the employment of the country and the tax base of the country and that they will listen to them. Um, I think that is, that's really important too. So he can, he can emerge from this with strength, but his strength will come through action because at the moment there is deep scepticism about... Uh, in those quarters about what he said in the campaign, about him being the continuity candidate and so on. And he's got to prove those doubters wrong. Just to circle back, Callum, on the mm. question of the mandate, <laughs> I don't know why political parties never learn. <laughs> I mean, every single time that we have had a change, and there's been a lot of change of prime ministers at Westminster over the last little while, every single time we've had a change of prime minister, the SNP have called for a general election. Mm -hmm. Now we've got a change of first minister. Of course it's not required. And it's the Tories in Labour who are calling for a, a Scottish election because there's no mandate. The mandate comes from the election that has happened before. You have to accept as a voter that political parties sometimes have to change their leader midterm. For God's sake, we don't need elections every single time it happens. There is a mandate. Stop being so sensible, on. Andy. Gosh, how boring. Come on, more elections, more elections. That's what we want, more <laughs> chaos. Um, I was quite struck by this from the Times leading article this morning, the comment, the leading comment piece. All political campaigns boil down to one of two narratives. Everything is fine, don't let the other lot muck it up, and it's time for a change. But Mr Yusuf has set out to embrace both narratives yeah. at once. And I think that is notable because I wonder what a successful Yusuf term looks like between now and the next time he and the SNP are up for election, Jeff. Are there are there measurable outcomes that we should be paying attention to here? Well, that's a good question. I mean, just going back to the Times uh, leader there, it's, it's actually a really good point. I don't think Hamza started the campaign with a view to being a change candidate. Mm. He was forced into that position. I mean, he 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 said, "I'm happy to be labelled the continuity candidate," and and talked in glowing terms about Nicola Sturgeon and about carrying on the great work that she'd done. But he, as the campaign progressed and, and Kate Forbes' continuity wouldn't cut it, message cut through, excuse the pun, then uh, you had him trying forced into positions of, of, oh, no, we must change things. And I think the, the, the party membership fiasco as well kind of accelerated uh, that. And that's what makes this so interesting. And, and a bit of the, a, a leap into the unknown. What is he going to do differently? We knew how he would kind of modify things around DRS. We we kind of believed he was going to continue the challenge on the gender recognition form. Then then there was some slight caveating of that. I think it's very difficult to understand. This is my point about getting in around the country and speaking to them, not speaking to the bubble, speaking to the public, mm. the industry, the business uh, people, third sector, the whole lot, and, and telling who you are, introducing yourself. To that extent, he does have a bit of a blank slate actually if you were to take it as an opportunity because we don't really know uh, what his position is but my goodness he needs to come up with a series of them very quickly and i'd much rather see him on that space on that positive platform of trying to do things as opposed to modify or reverse things 
um, and, and go proactive on the things that we know are quite controversial. Because in political terms, that wouldn't be wise. Yeah. Um, you want to try and get on the positive footing uh, in the first place. Is it possible, Andy, to say what, at large, the people of Scotland want to see at this moment in time? Because... Um, gender recognition reform is there. Independence is always lurking. He spoke a lot in his um, in his st- in his speech, accepting the result on Monday about sort of cost of living things uh, and trying to solve those problems. There is sort of floating around the possibility of new taxes as well um, that he suggested. You know, include a new wealth tax, a new income tax band of forty four percent for those over uh, earning over seventy five thousand pounds a year. I'm just wondering what is appealing right now. In what place? Does he inherit Scotland and therefore that what the people of Scotland are looking for? Well, it's one of these questions where um, uh, if you ask somebody in isolation, is the future of the union, whether you're a yes or a, or a no voter, is the future of the union important to you? A lot of, you know, a huge proportion of the population would say, yes, it is. But if you ask them to order it in a list of priorities, it's nowhere. It's nowhere. Um and the reality is that people in Scotland care very much about the exact same issues that people everywhere else in the world care about. Number one on their list right now is how bloody expensive it is to do anything and to live. So, I mean, the cost yeah. of living is massive. In Scotland, we are sitting on a genuinely world-leading renewables potential here. We have the land and the sea with an incredibly advantageous geographical position in the world and we could make absolute hay of what we have got here in terms of renewables. So I think in terms of long-term cost of living and long-term economic uh, future, we need to make, and we are making a lot of it, but we need to make a lot more of that. And I think people would respond to that sort of thing when linked to cost of living. And the other thing that people will talk about, um, anybody who's tried to uh, get a GP appointment lately, anybody who is sitting on a waiting list for elective surgery, there is absolute knowledge now in the country that uh, the NHS is not crumbling, the NHS has crumbled. Um, And people want something to be done about that because this is something that is important to everybody. Anybody who's a parent of children at school knows there is something deeply, deeply wrong in the education system that everybody is trying to hide and nobody is talking about. If you go out to the street, and Ipsos Mori and others poll this, and we can see this from polling, these are the things that matter to people. Mm. If you start asking about, and again, you know, you have to look at tiny, tiny, tiny parts of a sample to find anybody who thinks that gender recognition is a priority, whether they're against it or for it. It's not that easy to find people who think it's a priority, right? Yeah. Because it isn't. Um, and, and the same goes to a very significant degree with independence. So the, the priorities of the people of Scotland are the same as the priorities of people all over the world. Yeah, I, 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 I'm just 100% agree with that. That was what I was trying to say. Don't go on to the, the controversial. So get to the bread and butter issues. There's great opportunities. We've talked before about the green industrialisation of Scotland. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work to do to see that come to fruition and to ensure that we don't lose a lot of this work overseas. I know this is not an economic uh, podcast, it's a political one, but there's a huge political and economic risk there if it's not, uh, if the gaps aren't filled. And that's this point, this theme about speaking their language. It's time to speak the punter's language. Health, let's get an NHS on a better footing, whatever that may be, and it's not an easy ask. Let's talk about jobs, let's talk about cost of living crisis, uh, and then move forward uh, from there.
Your essential political analysis continues uh, every week on Hollywood Sources. Make sure you're following and subscribed. By the way, guys, I've realised we did the whole sort of cabinet reshuffle chat at the start of this without asking if there's a place in that cabinet for Scott McTominay after absolutely crushing Spain <laughs> last night. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, Hums is lucky the, the race is over because um, I'd have voted Scott McTominay the base the last two games <laughs> right into Butte House, by the way. Um, you can have whatever what you want. What McTominay. a legend. Oh, amazing. Amazing stuff. Well, we wait to see if uh, McTominay's given a place in Hamza Yusuf's cabinet. He deserves it. <laughs> Uh, right, Jeff and Andy, thank you very much indeed. Please do send your emails. We're in this new chapter that we've been building up to for several weeks now on the podcast. And you can have your say. Email us anytime. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. And whenever you email, we'll include your message on the next podcast, of course. So do keep in touch. Make sure you follow. Make sure you subscribe. Thanks for being with us. And we'll speak to you again soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.